0: It was many long years ago. It was after the death of Moses. And Joshua was then commissioned to lead the nation of Israel. Joshua had been Moses' aide and his trusted companion for many years. And now Joshua becomes the successor to Moses. It was Joshua who led Israel into the promised land, the land of Canaan. Joshua was of the tribe of Ephraim. He was the son of Nun. And just before the death of Moses, God spoke to Joshua. And God said, be strong and be of good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land that I will give unto them, and I will be with thee. Long centuries had passed since that promise had been made to the patriarchs. Under the guidance of Moses, Joshua was trained for leadership. He had been prepared for directing the conquest and the occupation of the promised land. And during the lifetime of Joshua, the land of Canaan, was possessed by the Israelites. However, By no means did they drive out all of the inhabitants. And at the age of a hundred and ten years old, Joshua assembled Israel at Shechem. And there Joshua sternly admonished them. He admonished them to fear the Lord. And a public covenant was made there by which the leaders, they assured Joshua that they would serve the Lord. And after the death of Joshua, Israel fulfilled that promise for a time. But it only lasted until the older generation had passed away. At the death of Joshua, Israel was at least partially established in the land of promise. The tribes had settled in all the districts that had been assigned to them. But remember... Remember the words the Lord had spoken to Joshua. It's in Joshua chapter 13 and verse 1. There remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. Unconquered Canaanites surrounded Israel's borders. And during this time the people are living in the promised land that God has given to them. But they have no king. Politically, morally, and spiritually. The life of Israel is at one of its lowest ebbs. The people are groping their way in darkness because of a lack of leadership. And actually the situation is succinctly described in the closing final verse of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. But every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The recurring theme through the book of Judges is the constant cycle of Israel forsaking God. During the good times and times of prosperity, God is forgotten and God is relegated to the background. And then during oppression, oh, how they cry for deliverance. And we read the same phrase over and over and over in the book of Judges. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Judges chapter 3 tells us how Ehud delivered Israel from Eglon, the king of Moab. And it's one of my favorite Old Testament stories because it tells us that Eglon was a very fat man. And Ehud had a dagger, 18 inches long. And he had it concealed on his thigh. And he went into Eglon, this very fat man, and he buried that 18 inch dagger all the way up in him, it says, until the fat wrapped around the end of the dagger. Read the story. It's it's great. And then you read about Shamgar, the ox driver. Who slew 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And we read also that he delivered Israel. But as Judges chapter 4 opens, we read this. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And it's in Judges chapter 4 that we are introduced to one of the shining stars that God offers to His people. As you read Judges chapters 4 and 5, the story of Deborah literally just leaps off the pages because she's a woman who's brave. She's a woman who's inspiring. She's a woman with guts and a woman with wisdom. And Deborah is a role model for the ages. We meet Deborah. And the people of Israel are under the thumb of one man named Jabin, a Canaanite king. He mightily oppressed Israel for 20 years. And Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. He's got 900 tanks, folks. And Sisera is the captain of his host. He's the general of his army. Politically, morally, and spiritually, the life of Israel is at one of its lowest points. The people are groping in darkness. And it's a time like this, when the leaders have failed, that a woman stepped into the breach. And as a result, the political channels of the life of the nation of Israel were cleansed. The enemy within, the enemy without was beaten back. The people gained their self-respect. And in Israel, hope took the place of despair. While the men of Israel are sidestepping their responsibility, a woman, a mother in Israel, she stepped into the breach and she repaired it. In Deborah's day, widespread rejection of God. That was an outstanding characteristic of her day and time. And her people had come to their present position under the leadership of men that were guided by God. But what had they done? They had rebelled against the God of heaven to whom they owed everything. The history of the period covered by the book of Judges is fittingly described in three words. Relapse, retribution, and recovery. The people were constantly turning from God and constantly suffering as a result of their moral failures. And then when things became their wicked worst, the people would repent. And turn again to God. The God that they had forsaken. Spiritual decay was crumbling Israel from within. Rahab, Joshua, they were the palest of memories now. The slaves that had become warriors were once again the underdog. And they'd been oppressed now for 20 years by a coalition of Canaanite rulers. And the chief warrior of those rulers was Sisera. And those 900 iron-plated chariots, his tanks, terrified the poorly armed Israelites. Why had it happened? What had caused this spiritual deterioration? Israel had failed to separate themselves from evil associations. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? God commanded them to drive the idolatrous inhabitants out of the land. But guess what? They didn't obey God. Write this down. It's on the final exam. Evil associations have always had a degenerating effect. Remember what Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, 33? Be not deceived. About what, Paul? Evil companionships corrupt good morals. That was the reason God had commanded the Israelites to be a separate people. It was for their own good. But they ignored the instructions of God. They embraced the immorality of their heathen neighbors and they did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the most basic cause for all of this spiritual deterioration was, as we read a moment ago, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Every person wanted to follow his or her own standard. It was like a philosophy of our day and time. Well, I'm going to just do my own thing. Or the popular phrase that I hear so often now by people being interviewed on television and and people writing things and it just makes me go, do what? I have to follow my truth. What does that even mean? Truth is the unchangeable. You don't have your truth and I don't have my truth. There is truth and there is a lie. And you've got the choice of one or the other. But in those days there was no king in Israel, so everyone followed their own truth. They wanted to decide for themselves what was right and what was wrong. And following that principle, always has and always will, Result in chaos and eventual destruction. Mankind, men and women left to their own inclinations, always degenerate morally and spiritually. On the other hand, peace, order, and happiness. Result, when everyone follows God's infallible guide, is found in this book. Israel learned the hard way. That failing to separate themselves from the heathen nations, and doing their own thing, and following their own truth, would destroy a nation. And you know what one of the most amazing aspects of Israel's history is? their complete abject failure to profit from those lessons. They were slow learners. They just weren't the sharpest crayons in the box. Seldom has a nation fallen as frequently or as low as Israel. You know, one mark of wisdom... It's when we have an ability to profit from our mistakes. You know another mark of wisdom? Being able to profit from the mistakes of others. I read where someone once wisely said, learn from the mistakes of others. You can't live long enough to make them all yourself. Wisdom admonishes us. To learn from the mistakes of Israel so we might, with the help of God, avoid those things in our own lives. Israel is being oppressed by a heathen enemy from without. A godless, cruel, ruthless enemy. And God's people are crouching in fear before Jabin's 900 iron-plated chariots. Israel doesn't even have one chariot. It's a classic imbalance of Military power. The enemy Canaanites, they're superior in arms and in manpower. And Deborah now has appeared on the scene in Israel. You know what Deborah's name means? It means honeybee. While women leaders were uncommon in Israelite society, they were not unheard of. But in this time of the judges when Israel is spiritually malnourished, when it's in civic disorder, it's oppressed by its enemies, Deborah steps up to the challenge. She's the only female to ever hold the position of judge in Israel. Don't you know, old Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, don't you know he felt smug? Don't you know he felt secure? <laughs> I can hear him laugh. Oh, well, this is going to be fun. Israel is being led by a woman, he would say. But his military calculations failed to account for one key variable. The strategic power of that woman's faith. Deborah was a prophetess. She held court under a palm tree. Several miles northwest of Jericho. It was between Ramah and Bethel. And even though much of Israel was divided and though much of Israel was dispirited, Deborah refused to lose heart. How could she forget God's faithfulness? Living so close to the ruins of Jericho after God had allowed His people to inhabit it. So she summoned a Jew from the north, a man by the name of Barak. And she spoke very plainly to him in Judges 4, verses 6-7. through She sent and called Barak, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali, and the children of Zebulon? And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I deliver him into thy hand. But guess what? Like every other man in Israel, Barak was terrified of Sassera. And he refused to comply unless there was one condition that was going to be met. Deborah had to accompany him. Deborah was going to have to go with him. She was going to be his talisman, his lucky charm on the day of battle. And she said, okay, very well, I'll go with you. But she went on to tell him that because of the way he was going about this, the honor was not going to be his. The Lord was going to hand Sisera over to a woman. Sisera heard of the plot. And he led his troops and his chariots to the river Kishon. He was determined he was going to crush this Israelite uprising. But the text says, God discomfited the chariots of Sisera. Picture this. 900 iron chariots going in every direction. Wheels falling off. Axles breaking. Harnesses breaking. Horses running away like an old Keystone Cops movie that we've seen in those old silent films sometimes on American movie classics. No matter how furiously the soldiers flocked, flogged their horses, confusion was the order of the day. Sisera gets off of his chariot and he takes off running on foot. Barak and his troops put every man of Sisera's army Except Sisera himself to the edge of the sword. And once again, God has heard the cries of his people, and God has sent a deliverer. And this time it's a woman whose faith stilled the voices of doubt, her faith stilled the voices of timidity. And because of her faith, the people were able to hear the one voice that mattered, and that was the voice of God. Now, I want you to take. And I want you by an eye of faith and I want you to use your sanctified imagination and I want you to see Sisera. He is literally, literally running for his life. He's running on foot. He is the lone survival. And as he attempts to escape, he approaches the tent of Heber, the Kenite. Heber is not at home. The only person there in the tent is Jael, his wife. And she's there alone, probably waiting for her husband, Heber, to return from the fields. And I have to be honest with you. This is probably my favorite part of the story of Deborah. Because as she sees Sisera running in true hospitality of the region, Jael invites him to come into her tent. You see, hospitality was the law of the land. And Jael played the part to perfection. She even treated her guest, Sisera with deference. He asked for water. She said, oh, my Lord, I'll do you better than that. She got a skin full of milk and she gave him milk. Now everyone knows that milk has certain sleep-inducing properties. And especially warm milk. And this milk came from a skin. It hadn't been in the refrigerator. Oh, and Sisera eagerly and greedily drank that warm milk. And he laid down on the floor of the tent and she covered him with a blanket to make him comfortable. And he fell fast asleep. But not for long. Oh, J.L. did everything she could to make him think he was safe and to make him think he was honored she treated him like he would have been treated if he had been in his own palace and when he was asleep laying there i can see sisera laying there on his side laying on the floor of the tent J. L. took a tent stake and she took a mallet and she drove that tent stake through his temple and nailed his head to the floor of the tent, and the blood starts going everywhere. Barak comes to the tent, and Jael walks out and said, "The man you're looking for is inside." Turn to Joshua or to judges chapter five and verses twenty four through twenty six and you read there the song part of the song of Deborah. Blessed above women shall be Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. He asked water and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. She put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with the hammer she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when he had pierced and stricken through his temples. Something had to be done in Israel. In their sin and despair, the people had turned to God. And Judges 4 and verse 3 says, The children of Israel cried to the Lord. The purpose for which God had allowed their oppression had been achieved. And Deborah, the Deliverer, Deborah was God's answer to prayer. A woman of wisdom. People far and near had come to her as she dispensed judgment under the palm tree. Every generation, my friends, needs men and women with sound judgment. People with level heads and people with straight thinking. And Deborah had a rare combination of idealism coupled with common sense. She had enough idealism to visualize a happier future for her people. And enough common sense to know how to accomplish the goal. A keen sense of discernment and awareness of the seriousness of Israel's situation caused her to realize something had to be done. And it was her faith in God. Her faith in the God of heaven who had defeated Pharaoh. The God who had fed her people with manna. The God who had leveled the walls of Jericho. Her faith and her affections were set on the Lord. And from that faith came her courage. Now it wasn't Deborah that subdued the Canaanites. It was the power of God. Because without God and without God's power, defeat is always certain. Like Israel, without God in our plans, Defeat is inevitable. And those people, those people in that day and time offered themselves. You see, God works through people. God works through me and God works through you. And victory, victory requires a combination of the divine power of God and the human power of our labor. Victory is not possible and was not possible for Israel until the people were willing to work with God. I want you to look at this story. I want you to see the power of one person. Of just how powerful one life can be, whether for good or for evil. Deborah illustrates for us the power of one life, wholly dedicated to God. Because Deborah's life changed things for good. She allowed the God of heaven to work through her and change the status of an entire nation from servitude to freedom. And Judges 5 verse 31 tells us the land had rest for 40 years. What can I accomplish? What can you accomplish? What can we accomplish with a life wholly dedicated to God? What can we accomplish When Jesus Christ is Lord and Master of our lives, not just Lord and Master of part of our lives, but Lord and Master of all of our lives. I don't know what's going on with you this morning. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is He the Lord and the Master of all of your life? Or do you need to make changes for Him to be Lord of all of your life? This will make probably a thousand and two times I've said this. If Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. Can we help you make changes for Jesus to be Lord of your life? Come and give us the opportunity to help you do that. As together we stand.